Okay, you can be opening up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be continuing to study in there this morning. <coughs> and uh, we're getting close to the end of the letter. Uh, a couple more lessons and then we'll be moving on. But uh, hope you have enjoyed the study so far. Ephesians is a great book to study. You know, we talked about the first three chapters where Paul is talking to the brethren in Ephesus about the great riches the great blessings they have in Christ Jesus, right? And using the phrase, in him, over and over and over, in Christ, in him, we have wonderful blessings. And you remember when we studied in the book of John, how John talked about at the end of the book, how we can have an abundant life in Christ Jesus. We can know who he is, live within him, turn our lives over to him, become that holy temple, as Paul talks about in the first couple of chapters of Ephesians, that God, where God lives within us and his spirit lives within us. It's a wonderful thing, a wonderful life that we can lead. And it's different than the world, isn't it? We are sanctified. That's, that's part of becoming a Christian. When you believe and are baptized into him, you raised to newness of life, you are now set apart. You are now part of that great kingdom of heaven worldwide, right? Part of that church, the church has been set, set apart from the world to be a great light shining in a dark world, a great example to a dark world, right? A great example of pure love that we receive from the Father and we show to each other. What a wonderful blessing it is to be a Christian. And then we moved into chapter four there and now we're into chapter five and Paul begins to talk about how we live out that abundant life, right? How we are to live according to the calling that we have been called, walking worthy of that calling with which you were called, as he mentions there in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how we are to walk in unity. Paul talks about this. And remember in those first three chapters, he's speaking to the Gentiles as well as the Jews, and he's saying the Gentiles now have that same calling, have that same inheritance that the Israelites had, right, through Christ Jesus. We're all equal in that. Then he talks about walking in truth and holiness, being, uh, being, living a life according to the word, trying to understand the truth that has been revealed to us through God's word. You want to know truth? You want to know what's real and what's right? You got to get in the word. The world won't tell you the truth. You know that. All you got to do is turn on the TV. All you got to do is hear the lies. And you know, and you know most of it, they try to spin it different ways, right? All that. But they try to suck you in into their way of thinking, but the truth is not in them. The truth is in the Word. And that's what we got to do. We got to walk in that truth and holiness, the holiness that Jesus Christ showed us in his life. Also, we talked about last week Paul telling them to walk in love in the beginning of chapter 5. They're walking in the love that God showed us by sending his only begotten Son to die for us. Walking in love, walking as light. Remember the first chapter of John? The light came into the world. The, flesh, uh, the word came into the world. The world became flesh. He was that light shining in a dark, dark world. Those who don't want their sins to be shown, don't want their lives to be shown, they want to live in the darkness, right? And that light, we are to be that light shining on that dark world. Not, not lording it over people, not living a life that we're you know, better than anyone else. We're just human beings just like them. But we are to live according to Christ, showing 
this dark world what that means. And then walking is wise, having wisdom, taking the word and applying that in our lives in ways that we can be wise in everything that we do. Sure, we're not perfect, we're human, but we can have wisdom from God and wisdom in guiding us in our lives and when we help others, right? So we have a lot of admonition here about how we are to live, how we are to walk according to the calling that we have received, according to the way you were called. And you were called out. When you became Christians, you weren't just baptized to raise, be newness of life, to just come in here and sit on the pew. No, you were raised to get to work. You were raised to serve. You have a purpose. You, each and every one of you, have a calling, whether you believe it or not. You do. And we talked about how many of us have different functions. Not everybody has the same talents as everybody else. Some can't do, can't get up here and preach in front of a, a congregation. Some can't teach a Bible class. Some are not as good at singing or not as good at visiting, whatever that is. Each and every one of us have something that's been given to us from God. And part of that growth period, part of that growing in Christ is learning what that is. Learning what that function, that talent we have. You have something that you can give, whether you believe it or not. And whether you want to or not, you have something that you can give. And you need to be doing it. You know, you've always heard the uh, cliche where in the church, you always have 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, right? And I don't think that's the way it is here. I don't think that at all. But if that's true, that's a problem, isn't it? The brethren should be at work. They should be willing to do something. Not because they're trying to save themselves. They can't do that. You were saved by grace. But you were called when you became a Christian. When you received that inheritance. When you were, became, you were called a, a son of God. You have a calling. And you need to get busy with it. Well, today we're going to go on in chapter 5 there. And it might appear as we're going through this that he's going to take a, he's going to make an abrupt change of direction, right? He's going to get very, very practical in our text today, perhaps. And you might say, well, what's this got to do with the text? We've been talking about walking in truth, walking in holiness and all this stuff, being a good example, being a light, right, to the world. But we're going to read some things today about how we are to live in our families and how we are to live among other people who are very close to us, Okay. And we're going to do that uh, in chapter 5. We're going to read in chapter 5 of how things are to be done in our families and in our lives. Let's read beginning in chapter, in chapter 5. Let's read beginning in uh, verse 22. And we'll read through the end of the chapter here if you want to follow along there. <clears throat> Ephesians 5 and, chapter, and verse 22. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no, one ever, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. 
for, me are, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay. Wow, we have some very practical verses here to read, right? About the marriage relationship, right? And what this means. Paul does seem to be kind of making a change here from what he's been talking about. Or is he really? Is he really doing that? You see, we read back in chapter 3 that the church is to make known the manifold wisdom of God. That's through the church that that's done. We are set apart, but we are universally one holy temple of God. Living, Christ living in us. The Spirit living in us. Therefore, we are to be the ones that are, are the example. The ones that are make known that wisdom of God. The truth that we know that has been revealed to us through the Word. Through Christ in the flesh. So we know we are to walk in wisdom. And it really becomes, or it, that's really done, how? Well, of course, our daily lives. But where do we spend most of our daily lives? With our families, right? Day-to-day, -day we are spending with our family. Day-to-day, -day we are having a relationship with our spouses, with our children, most of the time, right? Or I hope you are. I hope you're able to do that. And some of you may not be, but that's how we live our lives, isn't it? Most of the time, we are spending our time with our kids or with our spouse. So how is that something that we would think can be uh, how we relate to the world, how we show the world the manifold wisdom of God. Well, it's through our families that we interact, right? Through a marriage. We get married, someone gets married, you kind of bring another family into the fold, right? In-laws, you have in-laws through your spouse. They may not be Christians, right? They may not even know the truth. That's one way, right? You, you're bringing families together. How about with our children? You live in a neighborhood probably or or apartment complex whatever there is are your kids ever get outside and play with some other kids hang out play ball with on a team with other kids and parents you interact with other people through your family right through what your children are doing how many of you can say some of your best friends were made because your kids played together yeah there are families that get together because they have something in common it's children or or a spouse in a family something like that when we moved to Atlanta back in the 60s when Dad first started working for Delta Airlines. We lived in an apartment complex down on Virginia Avenue. He could literally walk to the airport then. I think he did a few times, right? <clears throat> and we lived next door to a couple that had two little boys. In fact, the husband was starting to work for Delta the same time Dad did. Two little boys the same age as me and my brother. And they have been lifelong friends ever since. I've lost touch with the, the, the children, but they still talk. Here it is, what, 60, 60 years, something years later? Because the family has something in common. Has something in common there. That's how we react to the world. That's how we interact, right? Through our family. So if you think of it like that, Paul's not making a change here. He's simply continuing this application of walking in the way that we are called. It's done through our families. We interact with the world through our families. What a wonderful thing. That family can be extended too, right? That family in your congregation, in your church where you are, right? 
that family that's together on Sunday morning, on, uh, on Wednesday nights, Sunday evenings, and hopefully other times, you're getting together. You're interacting. You're go through that, you're making other friendships, right? Someone brings a visitor. You're meeting them. You're getting to know people that you would never have known had it not been for your church family. That's how we interact with the world. So it makes very good sense what Paul's talking about. The same principles that underlie the gospel message should be shown through your families. Submissiveness, love, sacrifice, obedience, honesty, fairness. All those things. If you're showing that in your family, the world's going to see that. Your, your neighbors, your friends are going to see these things. So by that example, we can demonstrate in our families what is truly good, what is truly right, what is God's will. We can be that light shining in a dark world. So Paul's not abruptly changing direction, but he's continuing to talk about the things which are crucial to having a walk with which, walk uh, by way of the walking, calling which we were called. So we consider how this conduct, we consider how we should walk worthy of this conduct. And he talks about some things here that we'll continue to look at. First of all, he says something about the marital relationship, right? The marital responsibility. Duty of the wife, right? He says they are to submit to their husbands and everything, okay? Now I know some of you ladies are going to look at me and say, what are you doing up there as a man telling me I got to submit to you and everything? I know, I know how that can be. But what are we talking about here? He also says, just as they are submit to the Lord, all right? As to the Lord. Just as the church is subject to Christ. So we're not talking about, you know, some kind of master-slave situation here. We're talking about a wife who submits to her husband's leadership, shows respect for him in that way, the same way we submit to Jesus and the Lord as the Lord of our lives. As the church submits to Christ, becomes subject to him. It doesn't mean we're, we've got to obey every command, you know, that the husband gives, right? Although some of you may have tried to do that. I don't know, you know, hopefully not. But that's not what we're talking about here, right? But there's a leadership role. Just like in any organization where you work, somebody has to be an authority. Somebody has to be the leader. If you don't have a chain of authority there, what do you end up with? John, what, do you, what happens to an army when they don't have a chain of leadership? Chaos. Exactly. You have to have some kind of order there, right? And it's not something that's lorded over. What else does he say there? What does he say about husbands? Husbands are to love their wives. What we're really talking about here is an opportunity for women to show their submissiveness to Christ through the relationship they have with their husband. Turn over to uh, Mark verse chapter 10. Let's read something that Jesus says there about submitting to God. Mark chapter 10. And let's begin in verse... Uh, 42. Actually, let's, let's see. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 41. He says, And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. This is when James and John, they were talking about who's the greater, right? But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great and their great ones exercise authority over them. 
Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Wow, what statements. What would the world think about something like that? I mean, I'm the, I'm the prez, I'm the guy. You got, I'm not going to go wash your feet. That's not what Jesus showed, did he? Jesus said, you want to be a great leader? You want to be someone who should be respected? You need to serve. You got to be humble. You got to lower yourself and serve. That's the kind of relationship that we're talking about here. It's not so much that, it's not so much that a husband is to lord his leadership over his wife, but he is to serve. He's to serve his wife. Jesus said, the husband's duty is to love their wives. We all submit in one way or another, right, in our lives. At our work, as John just mentioned, if you're in the military, you've got to submit to somebody. We do that all the time, don't we? We submit to our boss at work. We submit to family members, maybe, parents, right? We do that all the time. And that's what he's talking about here. Wives, you are to submit to your husbands. Not that they lord it over you, but to show the example of what we are to be toward our Lord. Husbands, love your wives. That's a pretty simple statement, but it's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church. Oh, well, when you add that to it, that changes things, doesn't it? Just as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He gave his life as a ransom. What? He gave his life for the church. So you're telling me I got to be ready to die for my wife? Yeah, that's what we're talking about here. <laughs> kind of tough to hear maybe, right? Would you be willing to die for your wife, men? That's what we're talking about. Wives are being subject to the leadership of their husband. That chain of authority, but that doesn't mean they lord it over them. Husbands are to love your wives so much so that you would be willing to die for them, just like Christ did for the church. <clears throat> by doing so, by being that way, by being that loving, by being that serving, what are we doing for the world? What are we doing for those who see us live our daily lives? We're given an example of Christ. We're given an example of the relationship we have with Christ. Right? As the head of his church, Jesus rules as you know, what you might call a benevolent monarch, right? He's the king, we know that. He's in heaven, we know that, reigning in his kingdom right now. And on earth, that's manifested through the church, right? He is a loving, benevolent monarch, providing for his subjects, providing for those who have been willing to give their lives to him. Some might say, well, a concept as a benevolent monarch is not possible. You ever heard the, the saying, you know, uh, power corrupts, right? It's not possible. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You've heard that, right? And in the world, that's, that's kind of true, isn't it? You give somebody absolute power, and they tend to run away with it, don't they? Run off with it, yeah. All you got to do is go back to the Old Testament, really. Look at the kings, right? 
were just talking about this the other day. I studied the kings back when I was in high school, right? After Solomon, they split off into northern and southern kingdom. If you go through the whole list, the southern kingdom had a few good kings. Most of them were bad. Northern kingdom had no good kings. They were all bad. Why? Because of this very phrase, perhaps. And they didn't set their sights on what God wanted. They kind of became full of themselves, didn't they? Yeah, that happens. But we have a benevolent monarch, a benevolent God, who is our servant, who washes our feet, who in first place serves us. That's the kind of relationship we're to show the world. When a husband exercises his authority as head of the family with the kind of love Jesus displays while ruling over his church, we demonstrate not only the possibility, but the wisdom of a benevolent monarchy. A king who loves his people. That's what we're doing. In our families, we're doing that. We're showing what that relationship really is. He goes on there in verse 31 and 32 and talks about the marriage and how a man and woman can reflect that relationship that exists between Christ and the church becoming one. And he's referring back to Genesis. When God instituted marriage, man and woman became, left their mother and father and clinging to each other and became one flesh. And that's right. The marriage uh, relationship is, is, is a one flesh kind of deal there. And he talks about how the man is to love his wife the same way he loves his own body, right? And that's kind of, you can kind of see that in an example, right? You become one flesh, you love your body, right? Hopefully you try to take care of your body, don't you? Got to eat right, got to exercise a little bit. Don't stay up all night burning the midnight oil. Got to get a little sleep. In a marriage, you have one flesh. You are together in that respect. So what the point he's making there is you should love your wife the same way you love your own body because you're, you're one flesh. You're one body. Just like the church is one body. Interesting how all that relates, isn't it? You say, oh, maybe you hadn't thought about that before. Maybe that light bulb's going off in your head now. He's relating a marriage relationship to the church. That marriage between Christ and and those who are part of the kingdom here on earth. That's pretty cool how that all comes together, isn't it? That's part of the reason we call God our Father. We call Jesus our Lord. So if you have a marriage relationship where a husband exercises authority with love and a wife who submits to her husband with respect, you are showing the world what it means to be like Christ what it means to be subject to Christ, what it means to be part of that benevolent monarchy. So you may not think about that every day when you're getting up in the morning and thinking, well, I'm going to live my family today and show the world what it's like to be a subject to Christ. But that, by having a relationship like we're talking about here, you're doing it whether you know it or not. Then he goes on. Let's move to chapter 6 there, beginning in verse 1. He says, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And I used to read that verse to my children every Sunday. No, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't, every other Sunday. But going on. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. It is. That it may be well with you and, may, and you may live long on the earth. Do you ever read that verse and try to think about what that means? You may live long on the earth. 
Well, how? By honoring your father and your mother. Wow. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Interesting. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And you, masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also was in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Okay. Again, we're talking about how our relationships show that we are walking according to the way we are called. First of all, he talks about the duty of children. Children are to obey their parents in a way that honors them. And of course, there's certainly temporal benefits from that, right? If you obey your parents, you're not going to get spanked. Here, I said it. You're not going to get sent to your room, right? You're going to get to watch TV tonight after you get your homework done. All those things are part of that, of course. But there are other benefits that he says here. You get to live a long life. What? What does that have to do with being a, obeying your parents? Well, you ever thought about that? I mean, you know, what do all of us do? What do all of us want from our parents? What do all of us, and I know many of you, your, parent, your parents have gone on, have passed on by now, but I bet in the back of your mind you still think about sometimes, man, I wish my mom and dad could see this, or I would love to be able to talk to them right now about something that's going on in my life, right? You live your whole life looking for that blessing from your mom and dad, don't you? And I know some of you didn't have that, perhaps, as much as others. But that's part of your life. And if you don't have that, I suspect from what I read here in the scripture, it can have negative effects on you, even physically being. Probably got some nurses in here, maybe, I don't know if we have any doctors in here, that could probably tell you. Your family relationship affects your health. I would imagine that's true to some degree. Right? That's all part of it. That's what he's getting at. That family relationship. We show the world our relationship to the Father through our relationship with our families. Children are to obey their, their parents for that is right and good in the Lord. There are also spiritual repercussions. Let's turn over to Colossians chapter 3. Read something from that. 3. Colossians 3. Beginning in verse uh, 20. And he says here, Similar to what he said in Ephesians, but let's read it. Colossians 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Similar to what we read in Ephesians, but he goes on to say, this is pleasing to the Lord. This is God's plan for you to obey your parents. Children are born into a family. They learn how to live their lives. How? 
mostly by viewing their parents. You ever think about how a child learns to talk? I was just talking with Kyle about this the other day. Isn't it amazing how a child can just learn a language because they hear their parents talk to them? Have you ever tried to go learn another language? Anybody? Is it easy to do? No, it's hard. But children just learn it. And in whatever, they, whatever language they speak in, they learn it. Right? That's how children learn, grow, through their parents, through their families. So it's so important that they be brought up and shown that relationship. This example, the children can show the value of obedience to the commands of God. Not only from their obedience to their parents, they are showing that relationship to God. What about the duty of fathers there, though, he talks about? Fathers are charged both negatively, somewhat, and positively, not to provoke their children to wrath. In other words, not to just provide discipline without love. And fathers, do we do that? Positively, they are to uh, discipline, show correction, show them the way they are to live, but with love, tempered with love, not warding it over them, not harsh. And the world people usually fall into a couple of extremes, right, with that child raising, right? Discipline without love, you might border on what you might call child abuse, right? Becoming so harsh to your children that they don't see the love that they need to have from you. Or the other way, becoming too permissive, right? Allowing them to get away with anything, and then they don't have any respect for anything. Not you, not authority, nothing. We see a lot of that today in the world, it seems like, don't we? Yeah, that's what we're talking about here. Fathers are not to be harsh, but show that love. Then he moves into something that called, it's the duty of servants, right, and masters. We don't see that really as much today as they did in the first century. Maybe in other countries you might see more of it. We don't, we don't have slavery in our nation today, although you might see something somewhere that families are doing, I don't know. But legally it's not possible. But that was something that was prevalent in the first century. Many people had to be a servant of someone else to live. That was their living. That's how they could live. They hadn't had any other opportunity, right? And what's he saying there? He's saying, masters and servants, be subject to God. Be subject to the Lord in everything you do. Just like the familial relationship, they are to show the subjectivity to Christ as Christians, whether they are master or slave. A slave was to show the willingness to be obedient to their master, and a master was to show that he loved their servant, was willing to lead them in a way that was loving, showing the love of Christ, right? And he warns, he says, you know, because the Lord's going to judge, right? So if you judge your servant harshly, how do you think the Lord is going to judge you, right? So we have these relationships and families, master and slave, perhaps, but you might think of it like as, as where you work, you know? Uh, in a sense, where you work, you're kind of a slave to your work, right? You have to obey your manager, your boss, whatever, unless you're the boss, then you need to be treating your employees with respect. Similar situation, right? As a Christian, that's part of that relationship that we have in our life 
that we're showing the love of the Father. As parents and children, you know, I, some of you have young children in here. Some of you are, have older children. <clears throat> the first and foremost thing you need to be thinking about is what? And that relationship. Teaching them and admonishing them in the Lord, right? In the ways of the Lord. And that's part of the reason you're here, right? In fact, we know, being an elder, we have people come in. A lot of times they'll come in with young children, and the first thing they say is, you guessed it, we need a youth program. We wanted to go somewhere that we have a youth program for our kids. I hear that all the time. And we do. We have a wonderful youth program here. We have a youth minister who is a very good teacher, has great activities for our children to be together, to develop those friendship relationships, right? But ultimately, who has that responsibility of teaching and admonishing our children in the Lord? Is it the youth minister's job to do that? Well, we pay him to do something like that. Who's ultimately responsible for our children? You, fathers and mothers. And he particularly goes after fathers there. You are to lead. That was one of the reasons we came to Buford 20-something years ago. For, we were a large church. We wanted a smaller church. It felt like we could do more here. And we wanted our children to be more active in a Bible classes and youth program. They were pretty young at the time. But that was part of it. One point, though, when I, my children got older, I can remember, kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, I, I was, they were attending church every Sunday. We were here. They were in Bible class. They were doing last the leaders. They were doing all these things. By the way, our last leaders were just down there this weekend. Our numbers have dwindled in that. That's not good. Parents need to take that active role, right? It's not just up to the youth minister. You need to be more involved. When my kids were teenagers, we did, we, we, at first we didn't have a youth minister. We did get one eventually, but he was a member here. He wasn't a full-time youth minister. So I felt like the parents were very active. I'm not so sure that's the case anymore. I think it's easier when we have youth minister or the parents to sit back and say, well, let the youth minister take care of it. But that's not good. You need to be just involved with what's going on with your children as anybody else. I can remember my children got into high school or lower parts of high school, and I thought they were getting educated pretty well. I was blessed. I got to go to a Christian high school and a Christian college. They didn't go to a Christian high school. But, you know, I was, we're kind of moving along. We did some studies and stuff, but... I remember sitting there one night watching Jeopardy after eating dinner. And there was a Bible category on there. And the question was, who was the son of the king that David loved? And I'm sure most of you had just answered that question, right? I stopped the TV and I said, who is it? My kid's laying there on the couch. They looked at me with a blank face and said, I don't know. I blew me away. I said, you don't know who Jonathan was? I couldn't believe it. Here they are, high school age, they don't know who Jonathan was. And I probably overracked a little bit. I ended up teaching an Old Testament survey in their classes after that for a couple of years. But it blew my mind that my kids didn't know who Jonathan was. I knew who Jonathan was when I was two years old, you know? And they knew other things. I'm not saying they weren't getting educated, of course. But it kind of hit back in my mind and said, I had let something slip, perhaps. I wasn't taking control of my children's biblical education. And I knew the schools weren't going to do it. So it kind of lit a fire into me at that point. I, I had been complacent, right? Becoming a little bit complacent on that. 
I don't want to urge you as parents, especially parents of young children, do not sit back and let somebody else take control of your children's education, especially admonishing them in the truth, teaching them in the ways of the Lord. Because when it gets down to it, that's all that really matters. Yeah, they need to study the other stuff. They want to do well in life. But all that really matters is what you did for the Lord. Right? Conclusion. How we conduct ourselves in our marriages and families and greatly affect efforts of others? Well, we are to obviously submit to God and others in authority. As wives, we are to submit to our husbands. As husbands, we are to love our wives like Jesus loved the church. We are to exercise authority with sacrificial love, obeying those placed over us by God. What do I mean by that? Government, right? Authorities that make the laws of the land so we can have a civilization. Go to a court of law, what do they call the judge in there? How do they, how do they dress him? Your honor, right? That's based on what? God's law. Ultimately, those people are placed there by God. Everything comes from heaven, right? Everything comes from God. So you honor that person because that person has been placed in authority. What do you think by the laws of the land? No, my God. That's where it ultimately comes from. Probably hadn't, some of you probably haven't even thought about that before, have you? You are to be a subject to authorities just like you are to be subject to Christ. Developing others and training and admonition. Rendering service that is sincere, not hypothetical, not critical, not being a lord over somebody. Exercising authority with justice and fairness. So, as we continue to walk according to the walk which we are called, let us remember these relationships and how we are to be. We've got the instructions right there. All right, we're out of time.